I love the transformation that, that happened in that video. And so many of us need that transformation. We relate to the, the words of the song. I love this line. I don't want to spend my whole life asking, what if I had given everything? Instead of just going through the motions. So many of us look at our life, and, and that's what's going on with us. We're just going through the motions. Often we come to an assembly like this, and we say, don't just go through the motions. Let something happen. But this morning, I want to talk about an area of our life that I think we're even much more tempted just to, to make it through, just to endure it, and that's our work life. In fact, I, I ran across a statistic this week that sort of blew me away. It said this, if you're taking notes, here's your first thing to write down. 87% of workers in America are disengaged from and miserable in their jobs. Is that not shocking to you? That it even could be close to that, 87%? And guys, here, the other 13% were preachers. <laughs> well, actually, I know a lot of miserable preachers, if I could name it, all right? It is so challenging for us to enjoy, and as the Word said, rejoice in our work. Let's just go ahead and be honest here as we begin. Work can be the most frustrating place on the planet. And we know part of that is because of the fall of man, that one of the results of the fall was that work became more difficult and frustrating. And then we also see things in modern culture that make work challenging, the, the growing income disparity between the rich and the poor, stagnant wages despite the fact that we hear the economy is growing, more pressure for you to do more with less. Many of us work or you work for bosses that are difficult. I mean, as I talk about this, you can relate this to your situation. What makes work challenging, difficult, even frustrating for you, where you are tempted to just go through the motions? How do we overcome this? First thing I want to say is we must connect our work with our mission. That's what we're doing in this series is we're saying we want to be a missional group of people. That means what God does doesn't stay here, that we don't look at this assembly as the end-all, be-all measurement of the Christian life, that this is important, but what God does is beyond these walls, in your neighborhoods, in your workplace, that we don't go there by accident, we go there actually sent by God. And my friends, as we gather that sense of mission, things begin to change. I, I, I quoted from a, a writer last week to our college students that, it was, that the college campus is the greatest mission field in America. It, it sort of tickled me that I saw another quotation from another author this week that says, the workplace is the greatest mission field in America. I, I think you could make a case for both. If you're a college student, you're right in the middle of a great place to build relationships for God. It, and all the rest of us, honestly, you know, our neighborhoods may be more challenging in some ways than our workplace because we're spending seven, eight, nine, ten hours a day with the same people. So how is it possible for work to be a place of joy? As we anticipate celebrating workers tomorrow and Labor Day, as you anticipate going back to work, how does this change? Now we're going to look at a, an interesting passage in just a moment. 
And it's one of those passages that always bothers me a little bit because it's one of those passages where Paul talks about slaves and masters. And, and we get uncomfortable there because some people have used this to say that God was pro-slavery, which I utterly reject. A, a couple points I'd like to make is that slavery in the Greco-Roman world was extremely different than 18th century American slavery. It was not race-based. It was seldom lifelong. Normally, you were in debt to someone, so you worked your way out of debt and out of slavery. But, but catch this. Over half the population in Jesus' day were slaves. And, and among the slaves were doctors and lawyers and lots of people. was it that unusual. But, let's also grant nonetheless, we're talking about slavery, which is one man owning another. I heard a preacher say the other day that when it came to slavery, Paul got it wrong. That scared me a little bit, because I do believe this is by inspiration. And I, I think you'll see as we study today that Paul is busy laying the seeds of the gospel that will destroy slavery. It's Christian people under these teachings who destroyed slavery across the world. But you also have got to understand that Paul is seeking to deal with people where they are and where they've got to live out their faith right now, not later. And and today, Paul has got to deal with us, not in the ideal world we'd love to be in, but in the world that we are. And so let's go and listen to what Paul says. I think it's very analogous to those of us that are employees and employers. Verse 5, Ephesians chapter 6. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know the Lord will reward each of you. For whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. My friends, there is no favoritism with God is the, the death knell to slavery. But what can we learn about this? How do we make this missional shift at work. Let me give you some important points. First of all, we must have a new view of work. And this goes way beyond what Paul's writing here. This goes back to creation. The first thing we learn about God and his character in Genesis is that God was a worker. Every day of creation, God would stop and enjoy his work and say it was good. But this didn't stop with God. When God set Adam and Eve up in the perfect paradise in the Garden of Eden, they weren't there just as goof-offs. They weren't there just to retire and be lazy. They were given work to do. Paradise included and will include work. And so we that are made in the image of God find that work is necessary, first of all, simply to obey God. But second, it's necessary for our fulfillment. My friends, You were wired to be fulfilled with your work. Sometimes I get guilty because I get such a kick out of my work. 
And, and yet, you shouldn't feel guilty about that. God, God wired you to have that sense of fulfillment. That's why so many people who retire, even though they, they, they've been living for that all their life, you see, our, our American view of work is that work is a, a four-letter word, literally, you know? And that really the only reason you work and you work hard is to finally get to a point where you don't have to work. We've messed up a lot of people that way because retirement has been very disappointing to many people because if they don't have work to be done, you can only watch TV so long. You can only surf the Internet so many times. You can only clean your house so much. So a lot of people don't find fulfillment there unless they've got something to do. And here's an interesting revelation from many studies is you know these people who win the lottery think of this woman just last week i think she won over 500 million dollars now what was the first thing she did she quit her job now here's what's interesting is that studies say people that win the lottery are much more prone to depression and difficulty than people who don't now here's what i'd like to say I'd like to try it. How about you? <laughs> I think I might could do better with the $500 million. Guys, what happens is you need work to be done. Work is not a curse of the fall. Work was found back in creation. So we need a new view. And second, here's the key. We need to recognize a new boss. Paul says you're serving as if you're serving the Lord. Listen to me. All of us need supervision. It is a dangerous place to, to put anybody in a position of power where there's nobody over them. Because as we know and we've seen over and over again, power corrupts. And so we all need supervision. Very few people work really, really well without accountability. There are exceptions to that. But we all need that. And, and Paul says, if you really want to know who you're accountable for, if you really want to know who you work for, if you really want to know your ultimate boss, here's the deal. It's God. You see, because all of our bosses aren't that good. And, and you might be here saying, yeah, I do want a new boss. Now, Paul's not saying you need to swap jobs to find a new boss. You might. Paul's saying, in your job you have right now, with the boss you're not too crazy about, why don't you start looking as God as your boss? It'll change everything. Because Paul says, what we don't want is you out there just giving eye service. When your boss is around, you work hard. When your boss is gone, you come in late and leave early. When your boss is locked in his or her office... You surf uh, social media. You've got your button ready as quickly as possible to go back to another screen. But that's what you're doing. He said, no, 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 no. Your boss is not on vacation. Your boss is not there with his door shut. Your boss sees everything. And your boss is God. And so don't be working for this earthly master. Work for your heavenly master who wants nothing but good for you. Man, that's motivating. God, I'm working for you. My work is a reflection, not of how I feel about this company or even about my boss right now. My work is a reflection of you. And that's why Christians are absolutely the best workers when they understand this. And that's why Christians make a difference. 
This has come to my mind this week with, with this Hurricane Harvey and the opportunity we have. I'm so thankful that, that we are partnering to do something about this. We can't, Christians can't stand still when we know people are in such devastation. You know, after Hurricane Katrina, the Christians in our country so inundated Louisiana with the help that it got people's attention. There was even an atheist editorial writer for the London Times watching America from afar said, you know what, I've never believed in God or thought anything about Jesus, but I cannot deny that Christians were the people who cared the most and who did the most. That's not shocking, guys, because we have a different boss. Amen? We got a different boss. We, we, I'm telling you, because you got a different boss, you are going to work harder. And, and then what does that lead to? A new attitude. I mean, just, just pay attention to the words that Paul uses. You need to serve wholeheartedly. You know the difference in just going to work and going through the motions, just checking the boxes, doing the minimum you got to do to get by with it. And you know the difference when, you know what, you're going, you know what, what can I do? You know the difference between an employee who's going, you know what, is there more work for me to do? Could you hand me something? And the employee's like, okay, uh, you know, this is all you told me. Or the employer who's doing more than just looking after his bottom line, he's looking after your well-being. We do it wholeheartedly. We do it submissively. We do it sincerely, Paul says. So we have, we have a different attitude. My friends, some of us today is we're challenged by this lesson, we, we're going to have to have an attitude adjustment. Because our attitude at work struggles because we, we probably are in a difficult work situation. But Paul says, my goodness, if slaves can get a good attitude to their masters because they really work for God, please give me an excuse why we can't do better. That's a new attitude. And finally, this is the biggest, a new purpose. Guys, we've we got a meaning and a mission as we go to work. Guys, we've got to redefine what we think a Christian worker is. We, we've made the, the bar so low. Often we think a Christian worker is no more than someone who just doesn't pad their expense account. Or a Christian worker is just someone who doesn't sleep with people around the office. Or a Christian worker is someone who puts a, a scripture on their computer screen. Or a Christian worker is the one who has the Bible study in the office. That's all nice. But a Christian work and purpose is bigger Listen to me, our purpose at work is to bring the kingdom of God to this earth. You see, ever since the fall, God's been in the restoration business. And when Jesus came, he began this recreation where what was paradise is beginning to be restored and one day will be restored completely on this earth. One of my favorite authors is Timothy Keller, and Timothy Keller puts it this way. He says, the Bible starts in a garden, and it ends in a city, the holy city of the New Jerusalem. And he says that the intention of that is that we've got work to do to build that city. And so, my friends, as you go to work, your job is to make things better. It's to restore things the way they ought to be. Because you work there, people ought to get along better. Because you work there, the quality of work should be better. I, I like what this says. Any kind of work 
that leaves people, places, or things in better shape than before. Any work that helps the city of man become more like the city of God, where truth, beauty, goodness, and justice reign, is work that should be celebrated as good. My friends, if you're just making things a little bit better, you're doing the work of God. Too many of us are like the janitor. The CEO was visiting the workplace and ran into the janitor who was sweeping. And he said to the man, what do you do around here? And the janitor said, I just push a broom. That's, that's all I do. I just, I just push a broom. God would say, you just push a broom? You're part of something bigger than that. What would the world be like without janitors, without caregivers, without shelf stockers, without repairmen, without seamstress, busboys, police officers, construction workers, mechanics? And our culture may look at those jobs as being lower profile and may even reward some of those things, sadly, with lower pay. But in God's eyes, they are His work. They're repairing things. They're making things better. The famous Reformation preacher Martin Luther put it this way, The maid who sweeps the kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she's singing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not because he might put some crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God loves good craftsmanship. Because you are there to make things and people and places better. That's part of the work of God. And then here's the cool thing. That gives us a platform with which to show and tell the gospel. In the culture we live in, probably the worst thing we could do is walk in our office the first day and, and, and open our Bible up and start preaching. Because we hadn't, we hadn't won an audience. But if, you, if you're that, that good worker, if you're that caring worker, if you're the one that puts in your time, puts in your energy, and loves the people around you, there will come that day. In fact, listen to another similar passage the Apostle Paul says. Titus chapter 2, verse 9. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them and not talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show they can be fully trusted. Here's the line. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. The way you work makes the gospel attractive. Because people, when everybody else is complaining about the boss, when everybody else is complaining about the food, when everybody else is gossiping behind the scenes, and you are a light, it changes things. And guys... We need to understand the impact that we have in, at work. Let me give you a couple of stories. One you've probably heard me tell before. Back when I lived in Montgomery in the early 80s, I, I used to work out a place on the northern bypass called 21st Century Health Spy. It didn't make it past the turn of the century, okay? But, but that's where I worked out. And one day, I'd, doing my favorite part of the workout, they had a great whirlpool. 
And so I, I'm back in the whirlpool, and I, I'm by myself for a while until a, a, a guy, I, I find out his name is John, comes back there. And so we just get in a conversation. Before long, he asked me what I do, and I say I'm a minister. And so, as always, that brings on the questions. So he's asking me all these religious theological questions. I'm trying to answer them well. Uh, in the middle of it, I, I'm able to invite him to church. He says he wants to come. Then he starts asking some more questions. And then abruptly, I would say even rudely, he interrupts the conversation. He says to me, he says, uh, Buddy, are you really living what you're talking about? I mean, he was almost screaming. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, uh, John, I'm not perfect, but I, I'm trying, man. I really am trying. Why do you ask that way? I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, buddy, I'll work in downtown Montgomery at the Alabama Supreme Court, Supreme Court building. My desk butts up against another lady. The lady across from me goes to your church, and every day I hear her on the phone gossiping all day long. And then he said this line, and if you were like her, I would not want to come to your church. Now, what do you say to that? Here's what I said. What is her name? <laughs> I didn't really say that. But I thought to myself, my goodness, guys, what are we doing? And then on the other hand, I think of the late John Melton, who used to be the administrator of Baptist East Hospital and treated everybody with such loving care. And I remember so many people coming to church because they'd be in the hospital there. I remember a young couple who'd had their first baby, and they show up here. And I'm like, how did you get here? They said, my goodness, we were in Baptist East Hospital, and John Melton was so different. He was so kind and so good to us. We had to come check out where he went to church. And so, guys, we've got to see that we have this place where we can feel, fulfill the mission of God. We need to rethink missions. Often this church will bring ministers up here, or we'll bring missionaries up here, and we ought to, and, and we pray over them, and we commission them. But I'm telling you, I think it would be just as biblical if we would commission teachers and coaches and accountants and athletes and caretakers and real estate agents and landscapers and salesmen. Because we all are on that same mission. So, what are we going to do with this? Let me give you a couple shift steps this morning. Number one, some of us need an attitude adjustment. I mean, you've heard what Paul's saying, does what God's saying to us, and it is rather challenging. If this were easy, everybody would do it. But if you're going to be special, there there, there may be between now and you go back to work a time where you've got to have a talk with yourself about giving yourself wholeheartedly, about not using the bad boss or the bad compensation or the lack of the, the promotion to not work because you've figured out God's your boss. And that changes everything. And then number two, I want to challenge you to take an action step. Do something different when you go back to work. I've got a couple resources listed there on your bulletin. One is for you just to Google 30 simple ways to be missional in your work life. There's a lot of great ideas there. Like, like don't eat alone. Always include somebody. Why don't you organize a group that walks together maybe or a group that runs together? I love this idea. Arrive early at work to pray over all your, all your co-workers and where they work. Just little things to do. So I challenge you, do you need an attitude adjustment or do you need to take a specific action step? Or probably for most of us, we need both. 
Because here's what we must connect. We must connect our work with our worship. You see, here, here's the problem in this series that we're trying to address, is that we put the whole focus on this hour and 15 minutes, and we've neglected often to be good neighbors or good co-workers because we think that this is where it happens. Oh, this is important, and this should motivate us when we walk out of these doors, but this is not the end even of our worship. Did you notice one of the words used back in our passage today was to give reverence to God, to honor God? You see what the Scripture would say is, we have gathered here to worship, and here's the good news. When you walk out these doors, your worship continues. When you walk into that customer's house or in your place of your office, you continue to worship. You know, often we get really uptight about what happens in this building. And sometimes we should. We say, you need to show reverence. You don't need to walk in here like you're going to a ball game. You don't need to walk in and out and disrupt people. You don't need to be chewing on your potato chips, you know, in the middle of service. You know, we, we've all heard, we need to show some reverence. This is a, a special moment with God. Then here's the challenge I want to say to you and I today We need to enter our workplaces with reverence. We need to be as diligent about revering and honoring God there as we are here. And here's what I'm going to tell you. This is going to give a purpose to your life. Think about this for a moment. If we cut our workplace out of purpose in life, we've cut the majority of what we do out. We've divorced it from God. And that's why the song we began with expresses the frustration that I'm sick of just going through the motions. I'm sick of just making it. What I want to do is I want there to be a place that I live with passion and I, I live with power and I live giving everything. So this morning we're about to have a time of prayer. And if you need prayer, just show up on this front row. We had a time of prayer earlier this morning for one of our elders, Jeff Langham, who honestly lost his job this week, and, and there's some fishy business going on there. But when Jeff came to the front of this room, you know what him and Jenny asked us to pray for? Pray that they would be a light in the middle of it. This guy has been abused in a political process that's pretty corrupt, And yet he knows even there he could be a light. Paul says we're even in a terrible situation that God's not pleased with of slaves and masters, but even there you could be light. And God's saying even where you work, you can make a difference. I love this story. John F. Kennedy was president. He visited NASA. And he too ran into just a a janitor who was sweeping the floors. And the president stopped and shook his hand, and he asked him, What do you do here, sir? And the janitor sweeping the floors didn't say, I just sweep. He said, I'm helping put a man on the moon. He understood his place in the big picture. And my friends, I don't know what you do every week, but here's the right answer. The right answer is I'm trying to put God back on this earth. I'm a part of his kingdom coming. And if you're like 87% of Americans this morning, 
and you're struggling with this, you've come to a safe place where if you need us to pray for you, if you're ready to follow Jesus, come to this front. If you want us to pray about what's going on in your work or, or lack of work, then we're here to pray. Come right now while we stand and sing.